Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast where I bribe fascinating people to open up to me with a meal at a killer restaurant. We eat lovely food. I keep their glass topped up while asking them frankly outrageous questions. Joining me this time is TV King, X Factor presenter and Radio 2 DJ, Dermot O'Leary. It's a great moment where Ozzy Osbourne ordered, ordered a chicken curry and Cipriani, so it was probably one of the moments of my life. <laughs> well, he went off menu. Yeah, he didn't even look. <laughs> For this edition of Out to Lunch, Dermot O'Leary actually chose the restaurant. He's the only one of our guests to have done so. He specifically said, can I go to Rules on Maiden Lane in Covent Garden? I have to say, this made my heart flutter. Because my old mum, my late mother, brought me here when I was 10 years old. And I've been going for over 40 years. It's the oldest restaurant in London. Been here since 1798. It's a, a riot of mahogany and velvet and terrible Victorian art and brilliant British food. It has its own game shoot up in Northumberland. It does suet puddings. It does really good stuff. And the fact that Dermot wanted to come here, well, that just makes me like him before we've even met. Let's go inside. Yeah, I'm so sorry I'm running late. Crazy morning. It was just a bit wet. And clearly you came on a bike. <laughs> okay. Do the trousers come off? Yeah, they do. Fantastic. <laughs> you are the first guest on this podcast to have ever turned up and taken the cakes up. <laughs> which um, is very, very special. I feel really bad because this is a sort of... Like we'd normally be drinking, wouldn't we? And this is a dry day? Yeah. Well, I'm on my bike, so... Oh, well, that's an absolutely good reason for it yeah. to be a dry day. Is that all right? Yeah, but they do mocktails. Oh, perfect. Thank you for taking the time. Do you always do it here? No! You are the first guest who, when we sort of said, any dietary requirements, you said, actually came back with the name for restaurant. You suggested rules. And as I first came here when I was 10 years old... Oh, I've got history. So I was delighted. Yeah. But I want to set the scene. So we're in the Betjeman room. Mm -hmm. Just over your shoulder is a cartoon of Liz Fraser, Ian Carmichael and Margaret Rutherford. Fantastic. And then on the other side, there's Noel Coward and we've got Alec Guinness. We've got Queenie. Obviously, yeah. you get royals. Um, and then a lot of Betjeman stuff. And it's called the Betjeman room because the poet, he was the poet laureate. And he yeah. saved rules from being demolished in the 70s. There is a clock, which you might just be able to hear the tick of, but don't try and, you know, set your clock by. And how, so how many would be in... Would it be ten? I think the seat's eight. Um, so it's very classy, but just before we get going... Um, oh. <laughs> so I... So he's made here? 
Are there rules frazzles? <laughs> You've said in an interview that you are absolutely... I love of, frazzles. You can't resist them. They're great, aren't they? They are. Let me introduce Augustine, who's going to be our waiter today. How do you do, Augustine? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know this menu. You've been here before. I do, yeah. It's a great and menu. And you've probably been working through various options in your head for about two days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I have a plan. You know, I got in here early. So What's I'm your plan? To, uh, I'm going to do oysters and yep. then duck. Yeah, great. You can't do the same. Okay, wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have let you go first. Tension. I know I'm going to have. Right, Devon, what are you having? I'm going to have the partridge. Partridge. Wonderful. Is that good? And to start? Green eggs too. And I think to start I will have the... How big is the dress crab? The dress crab is a nice portion, but not that much. It's suitable for a starter, to be fair Perfect. with you, and it's very well presented. It's Lovely, yeah. I'll take the crab. Perfect. Thank you. And the chef recommends the cooking of the partridge is medium. Yeah, that's that's fine. Fine. thank Wonderful. you. Uh, do you want some potatoes? Yeah, I'll share some with you. Yeah, you choose. Dauphinoise chips, mash. Your Dauphinoise is amazing, isn't it? The best in this. Yeah. Perfect. And can we get some buttered greens as well? Sure, sir. Just to like make it look like we're. I have butter greens every day. Do you? Yeah. And just I love butter what greens. type of oyster would you like, sir? Could you do me two of each? Two of each. Wonderful. And how would you like the duck prepared? Perhaps medium rare. Medium rare. Wonderful. Yeah, that'd be great. There's and there's three mocktails. There's a. Oh great. Are you are you mocktailing as well? I am. Yeah. I'll take an elderflower fizz, please. Wonderful. Thank two you. of those. Wonderful. Thank you. My pleasure, sir. Terrific. When did you first come to Rules? It's one of those restaurants I've always wanted to come to and when I could afford to come. So about 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, quite late. I really like it. It's one of those restaurants that, because it's on the to-do list for people that come into town, it has that unique ability to still be very traditional and old school and for for it to be a special night, but also for it to be a cosy night. It's never been prisoner to its history. I don't think. No, and I love the fact that you know they have the owners on the board downstairs and there's like about four since 1798 yeah. and I love you can walk upstairs and find letters from some M- like one old MP or a lord to another talking like about, you know, that scoundrel Napoleon Bonaparte. <laughs> um, the Prince Regent, as it, then was, used to meet Lily Langtry in one of the rooms here to have relations with his mistress and it, it's called the... the like, it was called the Lily Langtree room or the uh, seventh room. Yeah. Food is, a, I mean, you know, people say, oh, I love food. Yeah. Well, yeah, we all eat three times yeah. a day. But you are slightly more interested the really most. Early age. Really? As well, yeah. Where did that come from? It was a subject I just fell in love with at school. Did they have proper. We had kind of home ec. Home ec lessons. Did you come home with cake? Yeah. Or well, a lot of quiche. A lot of quiche. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I've forgotten how now, but I mastered shortcut pastry and I absolutely loved it. So I, so I fell in love. And, and then all my nostalgic memories would be holidays to Ireland where my grandmother on my father's side, who was a very good but very Irish cook, would just keep stews alive for, for days. days, just adding stuff to them. And they, and they would... Where was this in Ireland? In Wexford in the southeast. All oh, right, which, so, is a, which has got a great larder anyway. So there's great cheese in Wexford. The Wexford cheddar is really good. The seafood's fantastic. A lot of mussels, which obviously they export. Great mackerel, fresh mackerel down there. Didn't was you? Probably the first. My first. My first culinary memory would be, would probably be fresh mackerel. My mum fried in a caravan on Carn Beach. And obviously didn't that smell? stunk the place out. 
see <laughs> everywhere. But I never forget it. It's just because I, I and I've always loved food that's got that's been browned. I always love um, you know, something good, you know, that's you know, been had a touch of the pan on it. My dad was a, a champion hurler, so he was really really good at hurling. And the O'Learys grew up in the same street as the Buggies, uh, who were another hurling family. But they were also open their own meat firm. So we'd regularly get these kind of shipments of black pudding, white pudding, Irish sausages, which are quite unique sausage. But I love white pudding. It's really, you know... I don't, white not, pudding is distinct from... So black pudding is made with blood. Blood, yeah. White pudding is sort of more... It's kind of like, it's kind of like another sausage, but it's got kind of barley and a lot of white pepper and spices, mace and stuff that I get. It's very... So Connor Kilty do a very good one, as do O'Neill's in Ireland. And... Um, and so I kind of fell in love with all of that very early doors, and then it just stayed with me, really. Do kids do work experience anymore? Yeah, yeah, no, even more than they used to. It's it's really annoying if you're a parent of right. They, so trying I, to find the bloody placements is so I, I, I went restaurant straight away. Did so you? I, yes. Yeah, so what worked, did you do? I worked in a in the kitchens in a restaurant called the Bistro Nine, which was opposite my old sixth form, and I loved it. And I, I, I you know, I, that's the start to many chefs' stories. Well, I thought I was going to be a chef. Did you really? Yeah. I still would like to do go back and, and qualify. Do you take... Have you taken any cooking lessons? I've done some butchery stuff and I've done some fish stuff at Billingsgate, which is great. Do you remember any particular restaurant experience that was kind of right? My, no, my first day when I was doing work experience, Pete, who was the first gay guy I've ever met in my life, uh, Pete the chef... Locked me in the in the. I think I messed up in the, the walk-in. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it kind of initiation. He was like, "You'll be in there until you land here." So he <laughs> shut me in there, and I was like, "Pete, please let me out." <laughs> and we had, we had, he did. Thank God. And um, Pete was wonderful. He was kind of, he's like a, he was like a character out of a comedy show. He was such a lovely guy, and he was my first kind of proper boss. So I, I worked there for about three years and loved it. It's actually show business. You've got one chance to get it right, and you're putting on a spectacle for people. I mean, we should say you have owned two restaurants, haven't you? Yes. Well, I've had shares in them, but yeah. But, You've been involved in restaurants. Far more hands-on than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, you can't just be a dilettante yeah, with restaurants. Yeah, yeah. The old joke about how to make a small fortune from restaurants start with a big one is... <laughs> has never been truer. They were called Fishy Fishy. Yeah, one was yeah. in Brighton one, and one was in... One was in Brighton one was in Paul. Paul. How are yeah. they doing? They're not there. Yeah. Were <laughs> well, they good? Yeah, you know what? To start with, they were great. We had a great chef, a guy called Loz. We had five great summers and two terrible winters. That's enough to kill you down. Absolutely. I remember when I knew we were in trouble when the British ski team cancelled their Christmas due because it was snowing, and I thought, Jesus, if they can't make it in, we're in a world of pain. Um, so, Paul... The British ski team cancelled their Christmas lunch because there was too much snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> and we became... It's really interesting is what... The, the, the thing I learnt the most is that you don't own your own narrative unless you are 100% on it day in, day out. So my wife... Do you was, mean that with restaurants or in life? Well, probably in life, but certainly in restaurants. Ultimately, it's, it's such a difficult industry and it's such a difficult industry to... It's fine when you're the bright young thing. For three years, two years... You've, when got, you're, you've got virginity and everybody's exactly. willing to Everyone's, take it. Yeah, let's go and see what it's like. And then you get... You know, we had good trade. And then... 
over a period of time you become a fixture and when you're a fixture that's why this place is so amazing when you're a fixture you've got to punch your weight day in day out Rolls has only been here since 1798 <laughs> no it's, I, know. I always <laughs> remember that because it was the same year as the Wexford Revolution oh really yeah 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 that's a, that's, that's well, a way to remember a day yeah so gentlemen here we are so you got a few doughs marvellous so here's the dress crab wonderful so you got the white meat the brown meat is mixed with the mayonnaise, and here we are with the oysters. Brilliant, thank you. Thank you much. Have you always loved oysters? Thank you. My pleasure, sir. They are one of, one of my things. The first time I properly ate them was here with my mum when I was 10. Presuming that being a chef was no longer necessarily what you were thinking about. No. At what point did you start thinking about broadcasting? Oh, Neil Kelly, my old um, politics teacher at A-level, very kindly got me some work experience on, on Radio Essex. It's on the Saturday sports show. And after about six months, they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd kind of like to give front of mic a go. And so how did that happen? Did They, they gave me an old mobile phone, keys to a Peugeot 205, and go and said, get to Billericay versus Grays, something like that, for three o'clock for the kickoff. And then, glamour, gonna, and then we're going to... And then we're going to... Exactly. Don't let anyone say I haven't put my time in. And then Was that your first bit of broadcasting was you from yeah. Graysby, Villaricky? It was on the side of the Thames. It was freezing cold. And I'd written all my notes down. And then there was this big gust of wind and I lost them. And, and now we're going over to Dermot O'Leary at the ground. And it was exactly like, that. Astonishing. Middle of the park to do the considered. And all my stuff had just gone. And I just had this, I, you know... One out on John line in my head, that's because they were the blues and, stuff, and I guess that's why. And I just did this. And my mates it's still to this day take the piss out of me. Saying that, you that. actually said, and I guess that's why they call it the yeah. blues. Yeah. Because okay. I was 20-something. Well, no, no, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway. And then I was a runner and there was a guy called, here it comes, Freddie Nottage. There we go. Wonderful name. Oh, that's a good name. It's though. a great name. He was a film researcher. And Freddie was always very kind of droll. And, uh, and he went, screen test across town. Yeah, if you want, put your name forward for it. And it was very sweet. What, so, was the, what was the show you were screen testing? Oh, it was, um, it was a Channel 4 kind of son of the word kind of thing. All right, okay. Pilot. Nothing happened, but I got an agent and showreel out of it. And same agent I got today. They got lucky. Both of you got lucky. Yeah. I mean, they give me a chance. So how old were you at that 24, point? 24, 23, 24. What was the first major live television that you did? I was a researcher and a warm-up guy for Mel and Sue ah. on Light Lunch. The Channel 4 show Correct. with Sue Perkins and Mel Goodrich. So anyway, Andy Peters came on as a guest and he saw me do warm-up and he was about to launch T4. T4 but was a strand on Channel 4. On Channel 4, on Sunday mornings... Yeah. Andy was kind of probably late 20s, early 30s, and he staffed it full of young people in their 20s who are keen to get ahead in television and just said, look, I don't, get, I don't drink, I don't have hangovers, you guys know what hangovers are like, let's make hangover TV. Pretty much. Then were there about, any other people on T4 who still got big careers to Well, this yeah, Ben Shepard was on it at the time, and then Ben, it, the alumni is great, actually. Ben then went away for a wedding, and me and Margarita Taylor, who I was doing the show, we... We hosted for one week, and then they said, we like the idea of more than one host, so let's get all three of you. And that was it. I, mean, I was just there said, then. There was an absolute rule there, which did uh, Ben Shepherd comes back from one week, he goes, what the <laughs> fuck? I go away for one I week, and now it's three people. Never take a holiday. 
if you anybody who reads my restaurant reviews will never see the words Jay Rayner is away. Absolutely, or unwell. So Ben comes back and there's now three of them. And you. Ben was actually really sweet. He was very good about it. And very kind of welcoming and encouraging. So anyway, there's now three of us. And we just learnt on the job. But, what, but it was a very nurturing kind of environment. And that's where you, and that's where I learned. And then I then I started doing the bigger breakfast, which is that they're sort of like kind of holiday cover thing for kids or for young unemployed kids, <laughs> university students, whatever. And um and that's so then you just start getting your live chops, you know, and then you, you end up getting a reputation that someone can do it. And then they gave, and then I got Big Brother's Little Brother, which I loved because then I started helping to produce that. That was the spin off from Big Brother, yeah. And that was kind of a, that was the first of its kind, so that was kind of a show, the first kind of sister show of those kind of reality shows, I guess. And actually, Big Brother at the time was a wonderfully benign thing, yeah, very naive. You can get as much or as little out of these shows as you want as a viewer, so. We had Desmond Morris emailing us once, and yeah, the, the author of the Naked Eight, yeah, and yet so the great also, anthropologist, exactly, saying this is the most marvelous study of human behaviour. What is the essential skill of live television? A combination of fearlessness and preparation. Andy Peters was great at that; he drilled it into us to sort of almost look at it like a sandwich. So you know, you've got there are some people who won't remember who he is. The broom cupboard they yeah. put him in. So he did continuity on kids' TV. That's it, and he so he created this kind of strand T4 that kind of lasted for about 15 years but he drilled into you that preparation is the thing 100% that then leads you to be a bit more fearless because then you just think well I know where I'm going so I'll let, let the chaos ensue there is one particular skill that you either have or don't which is the ability to talk while somebody is also oh, yeah. talking to you in he your did that ear. as well he, he insisted that every single presenter that he had on T4 and trained used open talk back you hear every single thing in the gallery. For the six months, you just repeated parrot fashion, whatever you heard in your ears. <laughs> he made all these terrible mistakes. So you weren't going you... off auto cue. You were going. Oh, we didn't have any auto cue on T4. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we had one one time where Tony, our script supervisor, Tony's mum walked in and went, "Don't, don't. We're just going up west." And I think I ended up saying, "And now we're after the break, we're up west." <laughs> and, but so you'd hear every single thing. You're a gentleman. Ah. Patrick. Oh, that's, that's great. So this one is a pastry called mushroom pitivier. So you've got some mushroom in it. Oh, great. Thank you. And I've got some duck. Yes, and it's a... So you've got partridge with bits of bacon over them. Yes. Cabbage and a pitivier. It's a little pie. Flaky little pie. So, yeah, so I've got partridge. Now, I went through a period ages ago when I used to live in Highbury. I'm going to the local farmer's market and getting game. I quite like game, but I've got, I've got I've fallen out of the habit of it. Have you ever shot? I've never really been... I've got to be honest, I don't think I've ever wanted to go shooting because of the other people who go shooting. Right, right. Being purely reverse snobbery. Yeah, although a few of my mates have done it that are, that are sort of like good working class boys, you know, it's sort of... For me, it's more... Also, I'd be crap at it. I just don't want to kill anything, <laughs> if I'm but... honest. But the idea did of, you did you flirt with the idea of vegetarianism? With we are we're still thinking more and more about it. But I, what I, what enjoy I, your part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is the answer to your question? It, like, I probably wouldn't go that far. But the one thing I I will try and do is any any meat now I'd buy will be I know it would be well looked after. In Russell T Davis's years and years, there's a moment when you are on the screen. Oh, yeah. 
presenting the election results. Now, it could be read as this was Russell being a bit cheeky and saying, in this dystopian future, everything's gone to so much crap that the guy who presents X Factor is now doing the news. I didn't read it like that. Did you not? <laughs> so when you saw it, fact, what did I you think? I didn't even think about I'm so narcissistic. <laughs> I didn't even think about that narrative. God, I, I must pick that up with him, because that's... I, I just thought, yeah, cool. I'm now presenting the news, and I look the same as I look now. There would be no reason, in your mind, why you couldn't present the news, no. is there? I wouldn't present the news, but there'd be no reasons to why I couldn't move into something political. But I don't think I will. How did X Factor come to you? Was it a job you immediately wanted? Do you ever get calls where... I've spoken to a few of my mates that are actors about this, where you get offered that big gig. You know you're going to take it and you know you want to take it, but immediately in your head you, you, you make lists of why you shouldn't be doing it. That's because what, it's too big? Because it's scary? scary. Because it... I was in America for Radio 2... For South by Southwest, which is this great oh, kind big, of music. big festival of media and tech and yeah, and music for, for us. Mm. We were sort of in Austin, and then a few of my mates were skiing in um, Aspen. Never been there before. Loved to ski, so I, I took a few days off, and I I went up there and I skied, and I, I and I got up every morning and I made, I made lists because it was a big. It's going into the big leaves. It's, it's, it was definitely a step up, wasn't oh, it? Oh, I mean, massive. Where, what, what were you doing immediately before? Big Brother's Little Brother. Right, over. Okay, so okay. I was on a Channel 4 doing a show that was rating well, a couple of million, had its own little audience. It's like it's like going from coaching and managing, player managing a decent football team to suddenly being transferred to Arsenal and saying, right, you're playing up front now. Go, go and score some goals. Have you, have you said to the producers that maybe there should be a, a special moment when you... You, Dermot. Me sing. Sing. I'd love to sing. I'd love to be able to sing. I can sing. Can I'm, you sing? I can sing a couple of songs. Well, if you can sing a couple, you can sing others, can't you? <laughs> I've got quite a I'm narrow range. I'm urging you on here. I can do Dancing in the Dark. Bruce I, I'm quite serious about karaoke. Not in a kind of, I want to go to a karaoke. You have actually said that uh, anybody doing We Are Family and getting a whole group up there, mm. that should just be banned because that's not taking it seriously. Yeah. Like, for me... It's just wrong. I've come to watch you in concert if I'm going to karaoke, so I don't need someone looking at the screen. I want you to know your song, get up preparation. there, sing it with conviction. Exactly. exactly. The O'Leary way. Well, my last big brother, they hired out, not for me, but for the show, they hired out Coco in Camden and they had a Rocky Oki band you could play on the on stage in front of... A proper band? Yeah, with a band behind you. Did you? Yeah, I opened. <laughs> <laughs> I did Mr Brightside and then did a stage dive. It was one of the best moments of my life. And I've done... I've done... Yeah, I've had a couple of great nights again. So Dancing in the Dark, Boys of Summer by Don Henley, I love. And then, here's the thing. I did recently, I went up to Norfolk with mates of ours and D. And we sort of like we, the kids went to bed, and we we did we did some karaoke, and I sang through the barricades, by Spandau Ballet, which I thought would bring the house down, and no one had heard of it. <laughs> I was like, "You need new friends." How can and a new wife? I was well, like, well, "How can you?" Not? D hadn't heard of it either. She grew up in Norway, so it's kind of different. But Listen, still. we we've heard you know take on me. So if we can deal with our heart, she can bloody deal with exactly. Spandau Ballet. That's that's a cultural exchange, damn it. That's become my new um, karaoke song.
take on me or through the barricades? Oh, yes, the take on me is too hard. <laughs> yeah, it does have the enormous <laughs> range right up to the top. Yeah. I share a birthday with the lead singer of, uh, of Aha. We've got Bob Dylan, I think. Ever interviewed him? No. I beat Springsteen last week, though. You did Springsteen? Wow. How was he? The, uh, the real challenge with someone like Springsteen who's been interviewed a thousand times mm -hmm. is how you interview him. It was unbelievable. He was the nicest, warmest, funniest. He was exactly what I wanted him to be. It was Springsteen's my rock hero. Hamyard Hotel, half an hour. That's pressure as well. Yeah. And you I, have a you half know, hour slot. Also, I don't want to mess up an interview with with someone, a, you know, genuinely, a genuine hero of mine. I don't want to mess up, mate. Are you done? Thank you. That was so good. I'm, I'm just... You enjoyed it? Yeah. It was great. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, may I try perhaps to ask you to get a little room for a potential teaser? Well, just some coffee for me. Just coffee for yeah, you? Yeah, otherwise I'll be in, in bits. What type of coffee? Oh, just an espresso, please. Espresso, single yeah. one? Ah. Wonderful. I'll have a double espresso. Double espresso? Yeah. And if I may, we do some very nice truffles. truffles. Yes. If they happened, I'm sure they would disappear quite nicely. So Bruce is in the room. Do you look at that mo a moment like that? With, does it still make you nervous? Yeah, I was I was quite nervous before. But on the way there, I was on my bike, and on the way there, I was just saying, "Look, this is just an interview, and you've done this before, and a million and one times. And also, don't expect too much of this guy because he might be having an off day. He might be tired. You gave yourself talking to. Yeah, you know, don't go into this with." Sky high expectation because you can only be disappointed, as it was, and which helped. But as it was, he exceeded all expectations. He was just warm and charming and intelligent. He used to be a terrible horse rider, and Patty, his wife, loved horses. And Jessica's daughter is a uh, now equestrian, so she competes professionally. So the you know the big into horses now. But his brother-in-law, growing up, was a rodeo rider, and uh, I mentioned it to him. And he went, he showed me this picture. He got his phone out. He showed me this picture at the end. And then we'd all sort of, you know, he, it, we had a half an hour junket. He went on to do the next bit. We're all sat there, my radio producer and engineer, all looking at each other going, holy shit, that just happened. That was marvellous. Decompressing. And I realised he'd left his phone in the room. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit, I get, uh. <laughs> so I had to sort of pick it up and run after him. Springsteen! No. <laughs> left your iPhone 4 here. Come on! And his assistants immediately just like swap me. We'll take that, thank you. I'm, like, I'm not going to call him. Don't worry. But is there a time frame for you then, or do you just still as a, you're a freelance person? I'm not sure what your no, yeah, yeah. contract is no, at the moment. Freelance. How long it goes? Um, do you keep thinking that's sucking through the store? It's great thank for you, great for audio. <laughs> Shall I do one as well? Yeah, please. So we can. We're not actually doing these off folio CDs, just in case you're thinking that we might be. These are real time. I do a spin class on on a Saturday, and they do the greatest smoothie afterwards. I don't know what they put in it, and I inhale it because I'm so tired after I've done this spin class. And I'm walking down the street, and all I can hear myself is just this. <laughs> and I never, I'm sort of quite old school about eating in the street. So, a banana if I'm in a hurry. But other than that, it, for me, it's ice cream or nothing. Maybe the occasional chip if I'm sat down, but. I don't, I don't like... I don't frazzle? Like a frazzle. Uh, <laughs> no, I sit down for a frazzle. I'm not a massive fan of people eating while they're walking. It just does, 
it's not a great look. So do, I, do you find yourself thinking, my job is just to keep employed? Or is there a game plan? There's. You have to be ambitious because nobody who does something in the public eye like this can claim that I have no ambition. No, absolutely. I, I, I'm hugely ambitious. But at the same time, you're, it's 50-50. Part of you has this game plan. But I've never really been beholden to it because all the decisions I've had to make in my career have kind of come at me left field, and they haven't really been, you know, that they haven't been entwined with my plan. Like, you know, they've kind of sideswiped me. So you have to suddenly you've got to make room for that. I didn't plan to do X Factor. Um, I didn't plan to do Radio Two. But these two constants in my life over the last fifteen years certainly didn't fall on my doorstep but I had to sort of alter my ambition to, to, to does that make sense yes yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely you, you you can't choose which jobs come along you can only make the choice of the job when it comes along it, yeah exactly it's a very good way of putting it but so if you're asking whether I've still got ambition yes but I'm not gonna if I like I'd love to work in America if I don't work in America I'm not going to go to my deathbed saying the one thing I wish I'd done was work in America. If it works... Was there a period when you were up for that? Yeah. When you heard, you know, Cat Dealey wanders off and... Probably, yeah. <laughs> probably about 10 years ago or so. I, really, I But the thing is, I don't, I don't want to move out there without, mm. without a job. But you sort of need to move out there to get the job. It was pretty much what Cat did. Yeah, she did incredible. Uh, she committed to it. Yeah. I, I did a, a, an episode of The Final Table for um, Netflix with her. And Gary Lineker. This is a, it's a total side story, but it, it was—I don't know if you saw this on Netflix. No. The biggest culinary cooking show shot on Sony Lot Twenty Seven. Yeah. They need each episode themed around a, a country, and there's a judges panel that goes ninety uh, platform that goes ninety feet into the air, and a paid studio audience. They're all getting two hundred bucks a day. I mean, it's insane. I did the Mo Gilligan show a while back to promote X Factor. Mo's this charming young guy. Uh, comedian on Channel 4 is getting this new show and I was, Eamon Holmes was with us and the recording is quite long and Eamon just sort of about three quarters of the way through went oh, I'm, I've got to be up in the morning I'm laughing this and he just wasn't there when we came back from the end of the he just got up and left yeah, just went. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean he said how, long, how much longer is this going to go on for I said well, it's the, I think it's the third, third or fourth part now so, no, 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 no. <laughs> and, and he just and it wasn't sort of announced. It was just literally like he just wasn't on the he wasn't on the. He couch. wasn't there anymore. Yeah. So you cook. You yes. like to cook. Yes, love to cook. But also Gary Barlow turns out he, uh, he's a great cook. Is he re- is he really that good? Yeah, he got taught by those Helmsley girls. Did he? Yeah. Okay. And um, Melissa Helmsley yes. and her sister. Yep. Uh, who were great, and they sort of they kind of taught him how to roast chicken properly and stuff and so I think it's kind of come quite late to Gary um, but he's in great shape now and he loves red wine he's great dinner company uh, when Gary was doing the X Factor we, we quite often had these nights out on Sundays where each judge or myself or the channel would take turns to host a supper and and they were really lovely nights but you'd go you know a lot of the people would go if you don't mind me, I mean, I'm a huge restaurant fan I like eating out in cheap places as mm. much as I, you know, I'm not, I've never been a particularly Michelin star guy, so I've always loved. I think we share a love for Bentley's. Yeah, exactly. Bentley's is probably my favourite restaurant right. in London. I love Rich. I think Corrigan's a fantastic. Mm. Richard Corrigan's a wonderful restaurateur mm. um, because 
he lives it you know you go in there and it just it sort of embodies him I've had some great nights in Bentleys and um, and Richard's a you know he's a good friend now through the London Irish Centre I've got to know him as well he sort of we both sort of patron the place it's brilliant and he's he, he's just a genuinely lovely man so we're doing the, these kind of nights and they're for the most part in like Nobu or uh, Cipriani's or something really lovely dinners it's a great moment where Ozzy Osbourne ordered, ordered a chicken curry and Cipriani's it was probably one of the moments of my life <laughs> so, what he went off menu yeah. he didn't even look <laughs> So, what did you think, Exactly. So, you know, want, kind of like just... private dining room, white tablecloth, guy comes in. Cipriani's yeah. been the, the great Italian Venetian, sort of born in Venice. Yeah. They do carpaccio. Yeah. They'll do you a truffle pesto or what chicken curry. And then, and then obviously, he was sat next to Shannon, you know, chicken curry. And you could see, and I was sort of like, I had this great, unique view. So, I've got Ozzy where you are, Sharon next to him. And then behind them, I'm, I've got the door. So the waiter kind of goes out, freaking out to the maitre d' outside. And there's sort of like three or four of them just looking. Oh, like, they all throwing their hands at the Absolutely. Italian history on it. And then the manager just goes, well, we've got to get him a chicken curry. It's Ozzy Osbourne. If Ozzy chicken curry. So he, comes, he says, of course, we'll get each other. I don't know where they get the curry from. <laughs> but 20 minutes, half an hour later, this chicken curry turns up. But when I hosted mine... I wanted to go somewhere. Oh, because a lot of these, you know, they don't really see London. A yeah. lot of these guys, they, you know, they live outside or they or they they see London as in they an office and a nice restaurant or home. I wanted to go somewhere where they probably wouldn't normally go. So remember when Meet when um, Pit Q yeah was on was on Newburgh Newburgh Street. Street around the back of Carnaby Street right. So it's this tiny, great. Far too tiny. Great. Um, How many people did you take down there? Sixteen downstairs. You took. You must have taken the whole space. The whole plate. The whole. The whole space. And even then, we couldn't fit them in. So we had Mrs O. Sharon came down. Louis down there. Barlow's there with, with Dawn. Uh, well, you I mean, Louis in quite a small space. Exactly. Right? Uh, then Kelly. Uh, Kelly Osborne came down with a couple of dogs. So they're sort of feeding dog sausages and. And um, there's a guy called Tom. Oh, what's his surname? He now runs a farm down in Cornwall. He was one of their chefs. Oh, yeah. I got to know him quite well for a, for a time. I used to go there all the time, and then he he'd sort of get me in. Coom Farm, Coom Head Farm. Yeah, that's it. And he'd get me in and go dab dab dab, and I'd go in the kitchen and go. I think I've, I think I cracked the sausage, and he get the sausage out and give me a slice of the sausage. Incredible. Well, the meat's incredible yeah. there, isn't it? And um, and and Barlow Gary just got obsessed, so he was oh yeah 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 good stuff this time yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> And then I think he then started buying his meat off them for a while. He's, he, I mean, he's, you know, loves his food. But, that, but I was really insistent. I wanted that night to be my London, yeah. which is, for the most part, Soho. And, um, you know, I've always had a, a very unique relationship with... I've always, Soho's, for me, has always felt like home because it's dirty and it's, and it's characterful. And I know it's kind of gentrified a little bit now, but it's still... They'll, they'll never properly change it because it's, you know, it's just this kind of, it's our, you know, it's our bohemian capital in the, you know, in the plunked in the middle of London, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, actually, people go on about how it's changed, and of course it's changed, but it's always changed. Yeah. And it may have certain smooth, gentrified edges, sure. but there's still stuff going on in that area. Well, one of the things that has always struck me is you are very sane. As in, you seem to have a hinterland, you seem to have a life, you manage to keep the two things separate. Yeah. You're not going to be found drunk at the wheel of a car, yeah. crashed into a tree. God, I hope not. Oh, is there a possibility? <laughs> now we've met, can I have the first on it? Um, 
Are, do you work on that? In the, in the same way that you talk about, you know, giving yourself a talking to when you go off to interview Springsteen. Have you, have you worked on the process of not being Dermot O'Leary into your private life? I suppose so. It was quite a conscious decision quite early on. I went, you know, you go to, the, you still want to go to a nice party. It's not a question of not engaging in it entirely because, let's be honest, that's partly the reason why people want to be famous in the first place. Sure. Just to go to nice things and yeah. this, you know, or, the, or it's not, it's certainly the byproduct. And we've already got to the point that being famous is fun. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's not, we're not going to apologise for that. And, um, but after you went to a couple of premieres, you go, okay, that's, that's kind of fun and, you know, that part of that life is, kind of wonderful and it listen it helps being a guy um, you think it's harder for women oh, 100% especially maybe not so much now but definitely sort of back in the kind of FHM maximum sort of you know swim set it would be it would be uh, the dumb thing to do a lingerie shoot for FHM or one of those kind of magazines there was a huge sort of pressure on my contemporaries for women to do that and it was that so I always found that unattractive yeah and, and kind of I'm so glad we don't live in those times anymore and it's incredible how how far because you'd never think that now how far we've come in sort of 20 years I made the decision quite quickly that if you carry on living your life and you don't go to that bar where all the paps are but you go to that pub with your friends then you can have exactly the same great time and you can be falling out of there at 11 but no one gives a shit because it's your local and it's different when you're a TV host because the level of fame is a, is a, a very manageable firstly it was gradual and secondly the level of fame is a very manageable but is it not also that you as a TV host your job is to be the ordinary person in the corner of the room, exactly. just the, the reliable person in the corner yeah. of the room, not a rock god on stage no. knocking out the rich. Well, even if you are, you know, there's a, a razzmatazz and showbiz about it, but sure. you're still, people are still seeing you, whereas if you're a singer, they're seeing your work and a version of you. If you're an actor, they're seeing a version of you. When people say, oh, you exactly like on telly as you are in real life, mm. I say, well, it is me. It's just a different <laughs> part of me. It's like me hosting a party. <coughs> is on telly and it's not me reading a book it's me making sure everyone's got a drink around my house the people I do speak to that mates of mine that have kind of retreated are for the most part would be singers or actors but what I always say is when they're like how do you do it I, the, the, the one answer I always give is, na- is neighbourhood living you live in a neighbourhood so you become part of that neighbourhood so you you become a fixture somewhere and I've done that thank you our whether espressos I've, are arriving whether, whether I've lived in Kilburn Islington or Camden, you, you're the guy that goes to the dry cleaners. You're the guy that goes to the green. And the first time people see you, firstly you live in London, so everyone's too cool for school. So, so, so you know they'd be mortified if they even recognise you. But secondly, they go when people do recognise you, they go, oh, uh, you know, how's X Factor, or how's the radio, or kids books, or blah blah. And after you've had that kind of initial, it's Dermot off the telly. It becomes your Dermot from around the corner. And but so rather than. You still take public transport or not? Yeah, I go. I play. I play five aside. I take it most Thursdays. I play five aside football at Brixton, and so I normally get the tube down there. Well, that's that's one thing about my job is that everyone. Well, there's a great Dylan quote. He said the uh, the problem with being famous is people reminding you who you are on their terms, which is such a a brilliant quote, isn't it? Uh, and it's so true in that everyone thinks, "What do you ask him that for? What do you do that for?" <laughs> See me coming into your bank and telling you how to do your job. 
Um, I do often ask this question because I'm always curious. Uh, is there anybody famous that you're not that you're mistaken for, or are you uniquely you? I'm uniquely me, but but the name I often get. I thought it was going to be sort of Dermot um, Murnahan. Dermot Murnahan. Yeah. <laughs> Who looks nothing like. Who looks nothing like. And has but a, he is and called has Dermot. A completely different surname. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when we booked, I've had that from a few ladies. When, yeah. when we older lady, when we booked you, I thought you were going to be Dermot Murder. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor, which in this case is me. I've got a new book out. It's called My Last Supper: One Meal, A Lifetime in the Making, in which I attempt to answer the one question I've been asked most often. What would my last meal on earth be? I go out in search of the ingredients. It does include pig. And I tell the stories behind them. It's available now in hardback, ebook, and audio formats. And I'm also on tour with a live show based on the book. For tickets and info, visit jrayner.co.uk. And now back to Out to Lunch. Do you want my last meal on earth? Oh, go on. Have you thought about this? Yeah. Oh. I go half a pint of Norwegian prawns. Okay. I don't know if you ever had Norwegian prawns. I'm assuming they're rather good. Yeah, they're so good. I'm not a massive fan of warm water shrimps. I mm. love those cold, cold water, water tents. Exactly. Those really bright pink kind of prawns that um, they base the sweets on. <laughs> yeah. And they're wonderful. And in Norway, you, know, you would buy, you could buy boxes of those. You keep them in the freezer and you, you know, you just get a scoop out. And... So the prawns? Sorry, prawns. How many courses do I get? As many as you like. Oh, okay. Probably a little muscadet or something. Yeah. I love all that West Coast wine. Okay. I probably would go John Dory, you know, or maybe mackerel. Okay. With some Jersey Royals. Oh, very good. Yeah. And Just make I'll, sure to die in season. And I'll finish yeah. on an Eaton Mess or a Knickerbocker Glory. Because the thing is, adults don't really order Knickerbocker Glory, and it's such a shame because it's such a wonderful... <laughs> my first Knickerbocker Glory on holiday in Norfolk when I was about eight or nine years old in a place called Friar Tucks. It's began a lifelong love affair with Knickerbocker Glory. There's hardly any way you can get them. And when you can get them, it's not a good look. No. <laughs> Is it? I feel terrible. That, that's going to be that's going to be Dermot O'Leary's sidebar of shame, dailymail.co.uk. Exactly! O'Leary spotted... On Knickerbocker Glory bins. Because they do one at Fortnum and Mason's for uh, the, the, the. Yeah, they do. And the ice cream place. And that's a terrific yeah, Knickerbocker that's Glory. That's the one. I think on that note, I have to say, Demo O'Leary. I really enjoyed this. Thanks thank a million. you very much for letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you. It's been great. We should just get together for dinner sometimes yeah. so we can hit the wine yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deal? Yeah, 100%. All right. I could have talked to Dermot all day, and rules was everything we both wanted it to be. Actually, it's the perfect setting for just about anything, anytime. Do take a moment to hit subscribe for me, share us, and as I'm paying the bill, why don't you pick up the tip? Not the actual tip, just bung me a five-star review. I'm very, very cheap. Really, I am. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The theme music was written, arranged and performed by Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer was Jemima Rathbone. The producer is Selena Reem. And the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, star of Ray Donovan, Mission Impossible 3, Hancock and so very much more. It's the actor, Eddie Marsan. Ray Winston always said about me, I, I can have it on the cobbles. That's what I said. You love have it. it on the cobbles? Yeah, you love it on the cobbles. Don't you? Was that Deptford talking to, <laughs> Deptford talking to Bethnal Green? 